How awesome to know that the name of Jesus, we can speak, we can take it with us anywhere for anything at any time, and it makes a difference. The song that I started to read earlier says, you saw my condition had a plan from the start, your son for redemption, the price for my heart. I don't have a context for that kind of love. I don't understand. I can't comprehend. All I know is I need you. So I run to the Father. I fall into grace. I'm done with hiding. No reason to wait. My heart needs a surgeon. But my soul needs a friend. So I'll run to the Father again and again and again. There is no end or limit to his love. It's an unconditional love. We must respond. We have responsibility. But it's an unconditional love. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me in the New Testament in the Gospel of Mark chapter 2. Continuing in our series that has no end. Sort of. That God cares. He cares about your mental and emotional health. He cares about everything in your life. You can see why I said it has no end. We could do this for a long time. And I make no promises when it's going to stop. But we're looking specifically again this morning about the mental and emotional health and understanding how much God cares for us. We really do need to run to the Father because he cares for us. And this morning, I want you to focus on this, that there are times when you don't feel that you can run or even walk and bring your burdens to the Father, and we need to allow someone else to help carry us there. Or we need to be the one who carries someone else to the Father. Last week, we looked at being and saying, me too. I have my moments. I have my struggles. This morning, I hope many of you are going to say, me too to being one to help carry somebody else to the Father. I've been struck recently in my reading, and especially in the New Testament and the, throughout the Gospels, of how many times it tells of someone bringing someone else to Jesus. Not them coming on their own. Now, they weren't fighting it because we must accept it personally. That's our responsibility. But how many times, an interesting study, does someone bring someone else to Jesus? And quite often when that happens, and it happens in this passage we're looking at this morning, where Jesus, upon seeing that, even comments about the faith of the ones who brought their friend. And that through their faith, the friend is changed when they accept Jesus, what he says and who he is. Take a look at this. If you were a part of our Ignite revival services back in March, 
Uh, Dave Ingbrecht, our special speaker, used this on the last night of the services, this story. And I'm reading it from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. It says, when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. Many were gathered together so that there was no room for them, not even at the door. And as he was preaching the word to them, they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. Some translations say four friends. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. When they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we have never, we never saw anything like this. One of my prayers recently has been that that would be said of us. Where people that we are inviting, people we are contacting, people we are bringing would say, I've never seen anything like this. Oh, not because of what we do, but because of who he is. Imagine that moment. Imagine having a consistent and constant time where people are amazed just because Jesus is here. I'd invite you to join me in that prayer. The friends had faith. Jesus recognized that. Now, we have to understand a couple of things just um, in concrete terms. Homes were built different then than they are now. There was not the sheeting on the roof and then the tar paper and then the shingles or the metal roof. This was quite often between some beams. There was mud and dirt and straw packed together and sometimes then tile laid upon that or the tile laid first and then the packing over that. So it was a little different. There was also almost always an outside way to get to the roof. In many of those homes, it was intended. That was part of their outdoor space. Or often they would even put another room up there that people would access through the outside. So it, it's not unusual. The men didn't have to bring their little giant ladder along with them to be able to get up on the roof. There was a, a, a natural and a simple way for them to get there. But it wasn't normal to go to someone's home who you were probably not the friend of and tear a hole in their roof. That was not normal, lest you think it was. But when they got there, some translations say it was so crowded there was no room even by the door. 
one commentator and historian, scholar that I read this week said that he thought the home belonged to Simon Peter. We're not sure whose home it was, but it makes sense that it was someone Jesus knew because that's where he was staying. And just the report that Jesus was there brought people. Go back to my prayer again, that people would just show up because they hear Jesus is here. Because they see him in us. And these friends, we assume four, one on each corner of the mat or the blanket, the, the pallet that he was laying on, they carried him there. Now, I've often wondered how much of this they discussed with their friend ahead of time. Or if they just said, we don't care what he says, grab him and go. I've pictured this in practical terms and put faces on these individuals. Part of the reason I, I can do that is I, there's five guys that I picture. We met our freshman year at Olivet Nazarene University, and we've continued to be friends since then, and it, it's been more than a couple of years. We generally get together at least once a year for a few days, and it's coming up soon in September. And part of the reading this week, I just pictured which one of us was laying on the mat, most recently me. And that the four of them were grabbing it, carrying me to Jesus. And see, I know them well enough to know they would do that. One of the other guys recently just had a, a fall off his, his bike. Now, he wasn't just sitting there. He'd been out riding and hit some gravel and fell and broke some ribs. And I imagined him laying on the mat and the other four of us carrying him. One of my other buddies had a very serious near-fatal accident a few years ago. I mean, literally lucky to be alive. So there was a time he would have been the one on the mat. And we would have been carrying him. Another one has had several back surgeries. So there's been many times he would have been the one on the mat. And we'd have been carrying him. Who would be there for you? Now, some of you unfortunately, you're going to think in your spirit, nobody, and that's simply not true. The fact that you're here today means that there are people around you, some who you don't even know their name, who would be willing to carry you. It's a call that we have, a responsibility that we all have. And I have to ask this question that I read in one study of this passage this week where the scholar simply paused in the analysis of the scripture and asked, these men brought their friend, and it happens often in scripture, especially in the New Testament, but he said, how many others today don't get healed, don't get touched by Jesus because we failed to pick them up? That one really hit me. How many times have I passed by and not grabbed a hold of a corner? Those of you that were here in March might remember Pastor Dave. We were cutting up a rope. He talked about, as they lowered him, probably having ropes on that mat and asking, whose rope are you going to hold? This has been on my desk since that night between my computer and the phone. So I see it several times a day to remind me of who I'm praying for because I'm willing to grab the rope.
in this area that we've been looking at, mental and, mental and emotional health. There are an awful lot of people who can't even ask for help because it's too difficult in that moment. They become so down or so, down or so anxious, they don't think anybody cares. And there needs to be several of us who make sure we let them know, I got your rope. Who let them know, me too. I'll grab a corner. I'll get you to Jesus. So what does that look like? What do we have to do for that to take place? First of all, a need must be recognized. Verse 3 of this passage shows that to us. It says, and they came bringing to Jesus a paralytic. They noticed the need. You go, well, that's kind of obvious. Yeah, it would be kind of obvious if someone was paralyzed. But they not only saw the need, they did something with it. We have to see the need or be aware of the need before we're going to do something about it. But we have to see the need. We need to be looking for it. In other words, we must be watching for needs around us. And then we must be willing to get involved. We've got to be willing to grab a hold. We've got to be willing to carry him to Jesus. To be one of those who Jesus looks at seeing our faith. It makes a difference in the life of the one that we bring to him. It's got to be recognized. And we need to get a whole lot better about seeing that need. Secondly, the need must be brought to Jesus. Those first four verses show that they heard that Jesus was there. Many people came together. These four men came bringing their friend. And even when they couldn't get near him, they figured out a way to get him to Jesus. The need must be brought to Jesus. The first way you can bring the need to Jesus is through prayer. Praying passionately for that friend that individual you're aware of, praying persistently, not giving up, and praying personally, specifically, by name. Last week, many of you filled out or put your name on that yellow paper saying, me too. Every day I went through those. And I commented in our, our Bible study Wednesday night, that I noticed that with each passing day, it took me longer to go through the stack. Because with each day as I prayed, I didn't know the need in many cases. Some I was aware of some needs that you might have, but not which one you were bringing that day. But being aware, and as the Lord began to quicken my spirit and praying for you, praying for you by name, and it just slowed me down I'm going through that list. We need to bring those around us in need to Jesus in prayer. Not just say we're praying for him, but take the time to individually mention their name to Jesus. I keep a prayer list on my phone. <laughs> I have to go through several screens now. The list keeps getting longer. But I got names on that list. And in some cases, 
specific things for each individual on there. We need to be in prayer, specific, passionate, and consistent, persistent prayer. But you know, sometimes we must physically bring them to Jesus. So how do we do that today? Get them to something. A church service, a Bible study, a, a prayer group, a small group, out to a cup of coffee with somebody else. Bringing them physically to Jesus. My first official ministry position was a, an assistant pastor and a youth pastor. And Jody and I, as we were leading that youth group, God just did amazing things. And at one point, the thing just literally, I mean, it exploded overnight. We went from about eight or 10 kids. We had gotten up to 30. And then in like three or four weeks, we were over 100. Because some people took this serious. One night in particular stands out. We had different adult couples who were helping sponsor. And by the way, we need some people like that helping Dalen with the youth right now. They just cared for the kids. They just showed up and loved the kids. And many of them were stopping at homes and bringing kids. <laughs> and Mark and Jeannie came in one night and I mean, just a whole bunch of kids came flying through the door at the same time going on this is awesome I said yeah we just brought them on I went what I knew what car they drove it had four doors but they were small there were only two seats I said how many trips did you make they said one I said what <clears throat> I still remember Mark kind of pausing and looking down, <laughs> you know, kind of shuffling like a kid in trouble. And he went, well, we didn't know we were picking up that many. We thought we were picking up four or five. And they said, can I bring my friend? And all of a sudden we had 11 kids besides their own two kids. I said, you still haven't answered my questions. You time on the roof. What did you do? He goes, oh no, nothing that bad. He said, in the trunk. <laughs> Fortunately, no DCFS individuals attended our church at that time. <laughs> but it was one of those, I, I said, Mark, that is so awesome. And I grabbed him by the collar and said, and don't you ever do that again. <laughs> we'll help you take him home tonight. But he said, why did he do it? They loved those kids. They were just bringing them to Jesus. We need to do that. Sometimes we physically need to do it. For that to happen, number three, we must be willing to overcome the barriers that might be there. The barriers to a neighbor who's told you no 35 times before. But you keep asking. You keep praying. You keep offering. We've got to overcome those barriers that means don't give up. Look at that in verse 4. They could not get near Jesus because of the crowd. So they removed the roof above him. Now remember the description of the roof and what that meant is right above Jesus. 
They started digging into the roof. That was not clean, nor pretty, nor silent. I imagine everything stopped while everybody looked up and then started shielding their eyes from the dirt and dust falling down. Some of it fell on Jesus, but he didn't care. We've got to recognize, not give up. We sometimes need to be creative. Don't put them in your trunk. But we need to be creative. How are we going to reach out? How are we going to invite? How are we going to get them there? Or how do we get to them where they are? We have to be willing to overcome the barriers and not think that the first time there's a barrier, I guess it's not supposed to be. We also, number four, have to understand that bringing people to Jesus, noticing the needs and getting involved with them might be messy. In fact, that's a, that's, that statement is incorrect. There's a word that needs to be crossed out. It's the word might. It will be messy. Just like it was when somebody brought us to Jesus. Because we're messy. And especially before we come to Christ. It might be messy. You take a look at the rest of that passage, 6 through 12. And some of the people sitting there were questioning it. You see, the messiness that happens could be physically, as it was in this case. It might be messy with your schedule. You might have to rearrange some things to reach out to them or bring them to Jesus or bring Jesus to them. It might be messy because others may misunderstand what you're doing. Others might misunderstand why you're willing to care for babies so that their parents can worship uninterrupted. Some people might not understand why you'd be willing to help in children's church or youth or any other area of ministry. But it needs to be because we love Jesus, which means we love people and we're noticing the needs around us. It's going to be misunderstood at times. Why you would give vacation time to help in vacation Bible school or go to a Nazarene Youth Congress or help at camp or all kinds of other things. Why you would stay up to make some food for an event like back to church that might reach some people for Jesus. It's going to get messy. It'll mess with your schedule. It'll wear you out physically. And it'll be misunderstood. But let's remember this. One, why we're doing it. And two, that we're doing it, bringing people to Jesus. And Jesus can restore all those other things. 
He can help you get by on an hour less sleep. He can help that gas stretch so you can make two trips instead of putting them in the trunk of your car. But let me ask this question I asked earlier. What if you don't? What happens if we don't grab hold of the rope? What happens if we don't change our schedule? What happens if we don't give up some time and rest and sleep? What happens if we stop because somebody might misunderstand? What happens if we don't give? What happens if we don't serve? What happens if we don't reach out? How often do needs go unmet because we didn't bring them to Jesus? And that includes our own needs. If we don't bring them to him in prayer, if we don't bring the needs of our family and friends and neighbors and yeah, even some of our enemies to Jesus, what happens? Now, I have to make sure you understand the role the paralytic had in this as well. You say he didn't do anything. He just laid there. They brought him and Jesus healed him. No, you're missing a, two key points. One, his sins were forgiven. Jesus said, you are forgiven. Salvation was offered and he accepted it. You say, how do you know he accepted it? Because the last verse says, that he got up and did what Jesus said. You see, there is an implied command when Jesus told him, your sins are forgiven. And then in verse 11, when he said, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. He rose, immediately picked up his bed and went out before all of them. There's an implied command there that he was to change his life. After his encounter with Jesus. He was not to live the same. As he did before. Grace is not cheap. It is not just passed out. So that we feel better. Grace costs Jesus his life. And we're to give ours for him. A change in behavior. That he gives us the power to do. A change in attitude. That only happens through the power of the Holy Spirit in us. A change in motive. So that instead of looking out for us. We're looking to him and looking out to others. So let me ask you. Who around you needs to be brought to Jesus? Now it's easy to think. You know so and so knows them. They should or will. It might be that they should, but you don't know if they will. And it doesn't matter because right now Jesus is instructing you, is urging you, is nudging you to do something. To reach out to them. It might be as simple as letting them know me too with the struggle they're facing. It might simply mean sitting down with them. And just letting them know, I'm here. You don't have to say anything. You don't have to do anything. I just want you to know I'm here. 
Because people really don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. What if we let them know we care because Jesus cares for us? What if we let them know we love you and our love is imperfect, but Jesus loves you and his is perfect? What if we just start bringing them to Jesus in our prayer, physically getting them connected to him? Whether it's us going to them and staying there or whether it's us going to them and then bringing them to something. But it all involves our touch on their lives. Notice that Jesus said, it says that Jesus saw the faith of his friends. Because his friends had faith, they had confidence in Jesus. That's why they tore the roof up. Now, we're not told whether they came back and repaired it. I have a feeling they at least offered to. We're not to leave messes behind. Because that wasn't the most important part of the story. The most important part of the story is their friend came in and his life was changed. It was changed most of all before he ever got up off the mat. When Jesus said, you're forgiven. And then it was changed dramatically. Noticeably. Because he could get up and walk out. But he walked out changed. Not just because he could walk, but because his heart had changed. He was forgiven. All week long, I have not been able to get a hold of how to finish this message. And I realized I'm not supposed to finish it. You are. This message is not finished in this moment. It's finished as we leave here. And go touch some people for Jesus. It's finished as we leave here and take Jesus to some people. It's finished as we leave here and bring some people back to Jesus. It's finished as we leave here and spend some time powerfully, prayerfully, passionately, tearfully praying for others. But we have to start by saying, me too. The question is, are you willing? Heads bowed and eyes closed. This morning, if the Lord has directed your attention to someone, someone in need, someone that you knew Immediately, that's somebody you could touch. You may not know how. You may not have any answers, but a name has come to mind or maybe a dozen names. And if in this moment, you're ready to say as those friends were, I'll grab the rope. I'll come beside you. I'll take you to Jesus. If this is that moment where you make that commitment, you don't have to have the plan. You don't have to know exactly what that's going to look like yet. But you're willing to say, me 
too for that name that's coming to your mind. Without worrying about anybody else, without looking around, I'm just going to ask you right where you are just to stand saying, I'm in on this. I'm going to be praying. I'm going to be bringing somebody to Jesus. I'm going to be going to them. Just stand right now, representing them, however many of them there are, saying, me too, I'm in on this, even if it gets a little messy, even if I got to rearrange my schedule. I don't know what it's going to look like, but okay. Me too. For the one Jesus is bringing to your mind. Father, thank you for messing with me this week. Thank you for putting a holy hunger in my heart to bring some people to Jesus. Lord, Anything that comes from this is because you, because I haven't been able to get any words straight for this. So I am completely dependent upon your Holy Spirit and the power of the gospel itself and the power of your love and grace. I pray especially for these who are standing right now. I pray you would give them courage. I pray that you would give them strength. I pray you would give them wisdom to take that next step, whatever it is, toward that name or names that you have placed on their heart. So Father, for them, I pray that as we leave here, that you would help them finish this message because of who they bring to Jesus. And Lord, I pray for some who didn't stand because it's like, I don't know if I can. May you continue to speak to them in convincing and convicting power until they say, me too. Lord, as we go from here, we go out looking for some ropes to grab. We go out looking for some people we can touch for you and bring you to them. Guide our prayers this week. Guide our words this week. Guide our steps this week. Guide our thoughts this week. And Lord, help us to not worry about the mess, but to do what you ask us to do. In Jesus' name. I plead for this. Amen.